Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Mercy Talk podcast from Mercy Multiplied, where we are passionate about empowering you with biblical principles for growing in mental, emotional, and spiritual health, and equipping you to share those principles with others. I'm Melanie Wise, and joining me on this episode is your good friend and mine, Dr. Brooke Keels, and I am beyond thrilled to share that our guest on this episode is the one and only Andy Crouch. And if you by chance don't know who Andy Crouch is, well, you are missing out on a gift and we're about to give you that gift. But I feel like it is very important for all of you listening that you have just some level of understanding of who we are really getting the opportunity to talk to here. So I want to share just some of his bio so that you have a full context of who we are just really getting this opportunity to chat with. Um, Andy is a partner for Theology and Culture at Praxis, which is a nonprofit organization that's advancing redemptive entrepreneurship and supports funders, founders, and innovators who are motivated by their faith to address the major issues of our time. And in his role at Praxis, Andy serves as a teacher, mentor, framework builder for the Praxis team, fellows, and community. He is a public speaker and a professional musician, which was fun. I did not know about that that about him before. Uh, He is also the author of five books, The Life We're Looking For, which is what we're going to be talking about today, The TechWise Family, Strong and Weak, Playing God, and Culture Making. Uh, He was Executive Director of Christianity Today from 2012 to 2016. He served as the Senior Strategist for Communication for the John Tibbleton Foundation in 2017. He has previously served on the Governing Board of Fuller Theological Seminary and currently serves on the Board of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. His work and writing have been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Time. And Andy studied classics at Cornell University and received an MDiv summa cum laude from Boston University School of Theology. If that all just blew your mind, we'll join the club. Um, But we are in the middle of a series here on Mercy Talk about the vital role that relationships and community play in our mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual health. And today we're going to be discussing some of the things that Andy writes about in his most recently released book, The Life We're Looking For, because he shares just some vitally important ideas and concepts for us to include really in this conversation about relationships and community. So you are in for a treat today. We are so glad that you've joined us and hope you enjoy the show. Well, Brooke, as always, it's a joy. (laughs) Every time. And Andy Crouch, welcome to Mercy Talk. We are so, so honored to have you with us today. Thank you very much. Great to be with you all. Yes, uh, I have to say this. There is um, there is a part of your bio that I have not yet shared with our listeners that I think is really important. <laughs> How could there be anything um, left? It went, it went on so there, long. No, there's there's something else. I don't, I don't. I was like, I know it's a lot, but you gotta know. You just gotta know who we're talking to here. But I think a pretty important part of your bio that I did not get to share with was that um, Andy Crouch received a personal shout out in a song <laughs> titled nonfiction by the rapper singer songwriter producer lecrae 
And when I read that, I was like, I'm going to need to go find this immediately, which I did. <laughs> My husband and I are huge Lecrae fans. And I, I mean, you know, I knew you were a big deal, but I'm like, when when you get a shout out from Lecrae, like that's just kind of next level. So this is when I I'm became gonna, a big deal to my 12 year old son. I will I'm tell you sure. back when it happened. <laughs> there, was a, there was a whole new population of people that were like, I want to know about this guy. So I'm going to attempt to do this because I know that listeners are like, wait, I want to know where is this? I'm going to attempt to play this, this one little portion where Andy Crouch is in Lecrae's song. Let's see how this goes. Get your tape. I thought it wouldn't make the album. Shortly after I got a hold of Tim Keller's books. Man, I promise you it's like my whole life changed. Andy Crouch wrote a book about culture making. And after that, I had to make a slight change. Ask the homies, I ain't do it for the money, man. Guys, there Andy it is. Crouch. There it is. <laughs> my moment of significance right there. That's so awesome. <laughs> That's pretty great. Oh, my goodness. Pretty great. Isn't it? Were y'all able to hear it? It came through well? Yeah. If you didn't, yeah. I can read it for you as my in my strong uh, rap voice. But I'll... Yeah, the really fun thing is, is yeah. how many people, how many people Lecrae has given away that book to. Uh, the book is called Culture wow. Making, and yes, uh, yeah, it's really fun that he's uh, amazing it, it affected his life, and then he's passed it on to a lot of people. And I keep meeting people uh, who who read it because Lecrae, you know, literally gave them a copy or told wow. them about it. It's it's pretty cool. Wow, that's great. <laughs> that's really that's cool. great. I mean, I immediately texted my husband and I was like, I need you to listen to this right now because we're going to get to talk to this guy. We're going to talk to this guy. So when our CEO at Mercy, who's Christy Singleton, she learned that we were doing this series um, and that we were preparing for this series on relationships and community. And she gave me a copy of your book, The Life We're Looking For. And I literally devoured this book like in one day. And I don't know if I've ever done that before. Yeah. I read the whole book in one day. Um, wow. But what is really cool about it is that our CEO personally knows you because she's a mentor at Praxis. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as I finished your book, I immediately texted her and I was like, this book just rocked my world. And I mean, I just went for it. I shot for the stars and I said, what would be the chances that Andy would be willing to be a guest on our podcast? And she was like, you know what? I think I can, I could think I might be able to make that happen. And I freaked out a little bit. And then here we are. Here we are today recording so with I have you. To so. ask, I'm sure we'll get into it, but what rocked your world in that day spent with the book? <laughs> oh my God. It was, it was endless. I mean, and there's a couple things huh. I think that, you know, questions that we're going to ask today that I'll probably share a little bit about just kind of like how those things yeah. impacted me. But honestly, huh. I think more than anything, I think I just was it gave me such a better understanding of why, why is this so hard? Uh-huh. Like why does relationships yes. and community and, and depth of relationships seem so elusive? Like why, wow. <laughs> why are we wow. struggling so much with this? And you gave such a full picture that traced, you know, back roots and history and, and where we came from and how we got to where we are today. And we're going to talk some about that today, but I will go ahead and tell you that even in some of our future episodes, there are pieces that I just pulled out that, well, you know, of course we'll make sure that people know where we got it, but it's, it's just helpful to understand history and what is driving our culture today and how it is, it is making relationships and community like it's just under attack in the greatest level possible. So yeah, yeah. I, that is honestly so much of wow. what we kind of want to be able to talk with you about today and dive into is to really give our listeners a fuller understanding of what's happening and, what, and, and really kind of what we're, I guess, 
battling and working against, not to make it overwhelming, yep. but to say, hey, if we're focusing all of our efforts on trying to fight this over here, but don't understand what's under all of it, we're just going to be wearing ourselves out and never really get anywhere. So, well, and so, you know, we obviously don't do podcasts about books for people to not read the book. So mm. our first order of business is Absolutely. go read the book. And Absolutely. yeah, I mean, yeah, this isn't a, you know, synopsis or cliff's notes. So, um, but to give just an, an overview and please correct me or <laughs> change whatever you want to, but you talk about how we as a society have never um, or have really been, um, and I, this is a quote, seduced by a false vision of human flourishing. Mm. Um, and you talk about too how impersonal our world has become mm. and how we've really displaced some of our most core needs with the ease of technology. Hmm. Um, and you also share about how we can actually restore true community uh, in a world that is basically dominated by money and power. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I was joking before the show, I was like, you know, sometimes I work with, with people that are in finance and things like that. And I'm like, why did I choose to help people again? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can, it's a lot, you know, uh, more financially uh, lucrative, if you will, if you don't. <laughs> um, but anyway, but it's also, uh, I, and like Melanie just said, I think a very, uh, eye-opening and and sobering book to read, which is a good thing, um, mm. and because you give us hope for restoring that world yeah. where we can actually be truly known. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's important. I think people get afraid of just talking about what it is, and and when you just talk about what it is, then we can dismantle all of mm -hmm. you know the drama, frankly, around it, and like the feelings and the offense or the vulnerability. It's like, just, let's just say what it is. And then we can solve that problem. Yeah. And that's so empowering and it allows people to be very authentic. Um, so anyway, so I just, I, I love that so much. And then again, you actually tell us what you can do, yeah. which is nice. We yeah. don't have to just sit around and be like, well, this yeah. is sad, right. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so all that to say, I will have a question. Sorry. You begin <laughs> the book <laughs> talking about how we came to this world looking for something and then go into how the world has offered us the counterfeit, yeah. um, which kind of just seems to be how the world works in general. Um, and so I just love to, if, if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about that, like how, and I'll just repeat that we came in looking for it. The world offers us something completely counterfeit. Right. Right. We all arrived, uh, looking for someone looking for a face, um, looking for someone who would see us, uh, know us, na name us, literally name us. Our parents named mm -hmm. us. Um, and, and one of the amazing things, you know, even, um, I don't know, 50 years ago, uh, pediatricians thought that babies were just complete blank slates, that they really couldn't do much, see much, think much. <laughs> and we now know so much more about how prepared we all were as infants to interact with other human beings. Uh, babies mm -hmm. literally arrive, they can't focus their eyes. That is, they can't adjust the focus of their eyes to look you know, further away or closer. But if there is a face six to eight inches away, which happens to be exactly where a mother's face is when she's holding her child or a caregiver's face is when they're holding the child kind of in their arms. So right in that focal plane, that's just the natural focus of the baby's eyes. Uh, if, if babies see a face, they fix on that, uh, on the, that set of features. And 
uh, that's like literally at hour one of life. I mean, mm-hmm. you've never seen a face in your life. And yet somehow, you know, when you see that other human being looking back at you, um, this matters. This matters more than anything else I could possibly see. Mm-hmm. And I use that, I I start the book by saying, recognition is the first human quest. The first thing we were looking for is someone who would recognize us and attend to us. And in fact, none of us made it to uh, even like three years old, let alone 30 years old or 54 years old, which is what I am, without a number of people um, actually Mm -hmm. investing deeply in recognizing us. And so that's what we're all looking for. And we're looking for it the whole of our lives, not just in infancy, but we're, we're actually every, everywhere we show up, we show up asking, is there anyone here who actually uh, sees me, wants to see me, knows me, wants to know me. Um, and the reality is uh, sometimes the face disappears. The mother goes away, uh, you know, for a little bit um, or uh, there's a breakdown of, of some kind. I mean, you know, it's just part of human relationships. And this happens super early, right? <laughs> but when we're about these days, when we're, say, two years old, and we are in one of those moments of what my friend Kurt Thompson calls rupture, just the inevitable kind of disappointments and mess ups and uh, <laughs> things aren't going the way I want, which happens to two-year-olds quite a bit. Um What can happen now, and this is like a brand new thing in human history in one way, is that someone can hand you a screen Mm. and the screen will pay attention to you. The screen will respond to you. Um, The screen will help you calm your distress uh, because you feel a sense of control when you are given a screen. And this is true even of a two-year-old because these these devices now are so, they're designed to be so easy to use and they're designed to be so personalized and responsive to us that very, very quickly, the toddler learns, oh, when I'm in distress, or I actually wonder if it's not the toddler as much as the parent. The parent learns mm-hmm. when, when the, the boy or the girl is in distress, the quickest way to solve that problem is give them a screen. And this is the substitute you were talking about, Brooke, that we've ended up in a world where we have these substitutes available, um, not just when we're two, but also when we're 32 and so on, um, mm-hmm. that substitute for the beautiful, complex reality of an actual relationship, they give us these kind of simulated relationships of devices that seem to care about us and that definitely seem to give us what we want, when we want it, in the way we want it. And that substitution is, to me, the great one of the great dramas of our time. Um, mm. And, and you know, you might say, well, what's so bad? I've got a quiet toddler now. I can get the dishes done. I can get the grocery shopping done. But what we miss mm-hmm. out on every time, in a way, every time we make that substitution, we miss out on some gift on the other side of vulnerability. <laughs> that mm-hmm. if we were to yep. stick with the distress, stick with that person who's maybe complicated for us, um, and not opt out to the simulation, we'd learn something. And maybe we'd be given a gift to be, become more resilient and more able to actually mm-hmm. learn love. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the stakes of our screen-based world that we're they're all in, enmeshed in now. Yeah, that was beautifully yeah, done, like, by the way. Perfect. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm not even going to answer that question yeah. for people anymore. I'm just going to be like, here's what Andy Crouch said. This, so yeah. there you go. Oh boy. I was like, if I have to talk about attachment anymore, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just, it's fascinating. And I think you, it, Gosh, man, you said it exactly right. The resilience mm, part of yes. it. It's like yes, we, exactly. and, and I was 
was just saying this on another episode we were recording and it's like, we don't, I don't think we just don't give ourselves the credit of how resilient we are, Yes, you know? And yes, so in yes, those yes. moments and I have, you know, an 11 year old and mm. of course there have been moments when I'm like, can we just have mm. dinner? <laughs> Do we, you know, when he was little, you know, and, and Melanie's got like two tiny children and I, know, I did you know, not I've got a one year old and three year old and you just ruined yeah. me for the rest oh, of the And gosh. that's the choice she made, know. you know, it's hard. like she made that choice. And so, <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't. I may have got one. But I'm just like, how many times, literally, you're just like, yeah. we just, what if we ate? Mm-hmm. What if we ate and, in silence? And so, you know, and 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 we've all been there. But, you know, now, of course, I, I have the, I don't know if it's the privilege, but see this other side of, you know, dealing with addiction treatment and the trauma that mm-hmm. comes out of it and the lack of connection. And you're doing all this family therapy and trying to redo, you yes. know, Wow. Like and explain to people that the opposite of un- you don't know how to be healthy. Wow. That is a discipline. That yeah. is a learned behavior. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so this idea, if we look at like substances, they're like, well, they're off drugs now, or they're no longer being trafficked, or they're no longer addicted to pornography, or whatever the thing is. And it's like right, but now you have to learn to be healthy, yeah, yeah. and that takes time yep. That's right. and effort and energy and intentionality. And so, I do think though, at the core, if we would believe in how resilient we are maybe those moments of like you know it's okay that he's crying for a minute right. like it's right, right, right. it's okay that we've got you know and just kind of normalize it which is another thing i really appreciate about your work is you just normal like it's okay that it's hard mm-hmm. totally it's okay totally mm-hmm. and we can do something about it you know so Anyway, right. oh, sorry, Melanie saw, I saw your face, uh-huh. Melanie. She was like, here she goes. You know I got world. very excited. I'm like, I can't go off on this tangent. <laughs> but yeah, but I'll I mean, it's cool. just. Sorry, you keep us on track, Melanie. Good. Sorry. It's good. It's good. Um, well, I, I would love to. Okay, so you shared and I will, maybe if, maybe if it seems fitting, I'll share kind of how it impacted me later. But you share about a very powerful experience that you had in the Chicago airport in this book. <laughs> It was funny because I actually was in the Chicago airport. I can't remember if it was in O'Hare or not, but I was in the Chicago airport like two days ago and I actually knew we were about to record it to you. I was like, I think this was where he had this experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a really big airport. Um, She's been thinking about you a lot. I'm just going to throw that out there. A little bit weird, but, I but anyway, can you, support it. Can you okay. talk about, uh, only because reading this story did really profoundly impact me. Huh. Can you yeah. talk about that experience, the impact that it had on you? And then in light of that story, I'd also really love for you to share just hmm. the difference that you unpack about contemplating and exploiting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of how that led to yeah. that. Yeah, so the experience I had at Chicago O'Hare International Airport um, was uh, it was actually an exercise, you might say, in contemplation. Mm-hmm that occurred to me one winter night, I had a layover there, a long layover. And um, I'd been in meetings for like two days. I was like, I need some exercise, like physical exercise. So I realized that the, I think there's six, uh, well, I I don't remember the exact number, six or seven like piers or, you know, terminals uh, at O'Hare that are all behind security. And I thought, you know, I could walk a long ways in this airport. If I start out, I was all the way at the end of terminal one. I thought if I walk all the way to like, terminal or a, you know, pier L <laughs> and back. Mm-hmm. And if I walk up and down every one of those, um, mm. long, co- uh, concourses, I'll get in quite, quite a bit of walking. I think it ended up being like three or four miles. 
Um, and I had time and I thought, okay, well, this is going to be fantastically boring unless I think of something to do with my mind mm-hmm. while I'm, you know, walking. And I had been thinking about uh, this amazing language that uh, the Hebrew Bible uses for human beings at a couple key moments, including the creation story, which is that male and female, we are uh, image bearers. We're made in the image of God. And I thought, okay, I'm going to pass a lot of people on this walk. I had no idea how many people I was actually going to pass. I thought, I wonder what it would be like to just look at each person as I go by in a non-creepy way, uh, let's say, (laughs) and just think to myself, image bearer. Like, just think that phrase every time I see a person. Image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. So I set out on this walk. It took me an hour plus to do it. And by the end, I was absolutely overwhelmed because you see uh, you see so many people for just so many. And to try to say, as I passed every single person whose face I could like attend to, image bearer, image bearer, it was just overwhelming. Like each one mm-hmm. of these people is a, a refraction into the world of the image of God. Like I'm not just looking at a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at someone who... In a, in a unique way, in a never-to-be-repeated way, bears, the, bears some piece, I guess we might say, or some dimension or some, you know, fraction mm-hmm. of the image of God. And um, it was this, first of all, this profound experience of, of really kind of being on sacred ground or holy ground, which I never thought I would say about an airport like where I mean you mostly <laughs> just, it yeah. actually feels like one of the most secular places on the planet the yeah, sort of yeah. airport concourse you know You're, it's full yes. of advertising it's full of busy people it's very right. atomized and isolated and you you mostly feel pretty alone in those places mm-hmm. and I just you know without interacting with any of these people beyond just beholding them I felt this incredible sense I am in the presence of God mm-hmm. first of all and God's in a sense representatives and it was very, very powerful. I will also say it is uh, it's very moving because because there's something tragic about it. <laughs> mm. because you the moment you start to pay even the slightest attention to these fellow human beings that pass through our lives anonymously and, and we mostly don't attend to them. But the moment you just pay even the slightest attention, you realize there's disappointment there. There's loss there. There's something not done there that they wish they could have done there's you know i don't know it's it's and and to pass like a thousand people and feel both the like elevation of who this person truly is and was meant to be and then also like what has happened in the course of their life to constrain that image bearing so that it's (laughs) hard for them and me sometimes to see Mm. so Yeah, I, I've gone back and done that a few times. I don't do it every time I'm in an airport because honestly, it takes a huge amount of energy. It turns out to be very, very demanding. And and uh, you mentioned this um, phrase or sentence I heard from a teacher of the spiritual life named Leanne Payne, and she got it from someone else, I think. But it's one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. Leanne Payne said, um, we either contemplate or we exploit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We either contemplate or we exploit. And I think, as I've reflected on that for many, many years now, that the heart of that insight is, if I do not first just 
pay attention to you as who you are. If Before I ask what you can do for me, or for that matter, even before I ask what I can do for you, if I don't just first contemplate you, behold you, attend to you, I will jump to that the, the fundamental question of exploitation, which is what good are you to me? And if you're mm-hmm. no good to me, I'll just discard you. And if you are good to me, I'll use you, manipulate you, um, coerce you if I have that option, but I will not behold you and I will not honor you. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we go through life, um, and this was true long before the screens we were talking about, because th- this gets to some of the deeper issues. We, we often go through life, frankly, in exploitation mode, like what good is this other person or this situation to me? Um, but the invitation, I think, from God, and certainly when we look at the way Jesus, who is our template for what God must be like, uh, the way he responded to people, it's amazing. Like he never skips this contemplation step. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's beholding before, before he acts. Even when they're asking him to do something for him, he, he beholds them first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Does that, I, that, that's kind of the story. And it's, it's, uh, it's rocked me, <laughs> I would say, yes. uh, every time I do it. I can imagine reading it, like I said, mm-hmm. rocked me. Yeah. And I will tell you that after, so I read the vast majority of your book sitting in a Panera uh, uh, in Smyrna, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. And um, I I read that portion of your book. And as I was preparing to leave the restaurant that day, I had the thought like, oh, I really need to get a few things at the grocery store on my way home. And I thought about doing what I always do, which is just get on Instacart, place my mm. order, have them delivered. But with all of these words from your book very fresh on my mind, I decided to go super old school and go to a grocery store. Wow, yes. And uh, it's important to note here that I am not really a naturally extroverted person. Yeah. And I tend to, you know, avoid interactions with people often. Um, But I went to the grocery store and I was like, I'm going to do that thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk around this grocery store. Wow. Now, granted, it wasn't like an hour at O'Hare. It was like 10 minutes in a Kroger. <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to test this out. I'm going to test this out for a minute. Right. And I don't feel like it's a coincidence that like that short visit to the grocery store became a really sweet and rich experience that day. Wow. wow. And I think it impacted me because I realized as I was crossing people's paths in on in different lines and in the yeah. produce section and I again was trying not to be weird or creepy yeah, but I was like yeah. just really trying to yeah. look at people the way you were describing it was such a stark contrast to me of how I would typically have gone through the grocery store right wow. or even the person checking me out at the at the end of the yes. day like I'm just yes. like and you I think you even mentioned this in the book we just we don't even look at the people at the checkout right. counters we slip our card under the thing we get our receipt we walk away so I think practicing that, it was just like, yeah. oh my goodness, I'm not yeah. even close to doing this kind of thing typically. And so I even remember having an interaction with someone in the parking lot who was like towing a truck. And I just, I mm. said something, cause I looked at him as a human. I don't remember, I mean, it made sense whatever yeah, I said. I think yeah, my yeah. car might've been in the way. And I was like, do I need to wait till the, 
And we like had a really sweet interaction, wow. which typically I would have just been like, I guess I'm just going to awkwardly sit here till you're done. And huh. we were like, I was about to pull out of my parking spot and a woman with two little children were walking behind me. And I think typical me would have been like, Ugh. like, move Those on, move on. Like, I gotta, like, I gotta get out of here. Right. You know, I was, I remember I looked at that woman and I was like, she looks like she has a one and three year old. I have a one wow. and three year old. Wow. She's about to go in the grocery store. Wow. It's so hard for her. You know, like, <laughs> yes, it was, just, it, wells was the, up. it was so much compassion. I was like, oh, and I was had so much patience for her moving past my car. Wow. Whereas typically I would have just been like, let's go, let's go, you know. And oh, I just, it, to me, what it pointed out was that clearly we were made for this. Clearly wow. we were created yes. for this because yes. this is the way to yes. a rich life that a grocery store visit could have had, like you said, it was like holy ground. Yep. This is what we were made for. And so wow. our, our first episode of this specific series, we really unpacked like God created us to need other people. This is hardwired into yeah. us. Yeah. Um, and so that was just such a picture to me of that, that day. So wow. thank wow. you for that. I have, I've tried to be more intentional about it. It's a hard thing. You can't just like, <laughs> You go crazy if you're doing it 24 hours a day, but it really impacted me on how wow. different life would look like if we did this. So, wow. Incredible. And imagine if yeah. uh, in places like that, there were just routinely people who had that contemplative kind of, and contemplative mm -hmm. sometimes sounds like very passive, but I think what, what you experienced and what I've experienced with this too is it's actually very active. It's active oh, yeah. attention. That then that then shapes the way you respond to other people, and sometimes it's not a verbal response, or you know, sometimes just mm -hmm. sitting in your car, able to wait patiently and and just mm -hmm. feel compassion for that mom with two kids. But sometimes it is the little interaction with the tow truck driver or whatever, and then sometimes it's something much deeper, you know, and, and more right. consequential. But but if we had that kind of active presence in each other's lives, and instead, what we all kind of learn implicitly over time is no one's really looking at me. No one's looking for mm. me. No one's looking out for me. I'm very deeply alone. And and then we retreat from our own responsibility for engagement in mm. the world. And mm -hmm. we end up with a very, very lonely world, which is the world yep. all of us live in to an, to an astonishing degree. Yeah, um, right. But just on the other side of a decision to engage differently is a different experience of the very same grocery store, you know, the very same airport. That's right. So that's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And not, not to belabor it, but I think to, to both of y'all's points, like it's a, it's also an intentional, thoughtful discipline to do yeah, that. Totally. Right. You have to like, I mean, that, that becomes like how you live your life. And for me, you know, that example, I think it was definitely like, that's really overwhelming because I have to sit with people that, I mean, I've, let's see, I've got, and I'm going to just say this, like in this one year of addiction treatment, you know, we've lost 10 people. Okay. Not necessarily like wow. ours, but either former yes. clients or just connections in that way. Right. So you yep. have all of this loss. And so everybody that sits across from you, you're like, this is life or death. And I have to really behold them to, you know, see this big picture. And, and it can be so exhausting. Wow. And what I found for me was how to do that with boundaries. And this is what, I mean, just so you know, I'm really bad at this. Um, and, but then how do I do that starting with like my husband and my kid? Yeah. Because I just, yeah. you know, did this with all of these people that <laughs> yes. are hurt and yes, broken. Yes, yes. And, and how do I reserve that? 
you know, for this other side and, and to that point too, and I, I know you mentioned this and forgive me if I, I don't get this exactly right, but it, it's also, that's also why we're not meant to have 7 million people in our community. <laughs> that's, you only have right. the, you don't have, you know, the energy for O'Hare every day, right? No, that's right? You that's had the energy for seven people in Kroger for 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that. And I lived in Smyrna. That's a, it's an interesting Kroger. And so I just think that like, yeah. you chose the, uh, the next level Kroger for this. So, assignment. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think even to that, like if someone were listening and they're like, that sounds so overweight, pare it down. Yeah, like definitely. who are the people that I can do that with and, and just, and start there. And that the discipline for me is I've gotten so good on the work side of it. Mm. I've got to do it in my, in my personal life. And, and thankfully I have a husband who's pretty good at it and, and demands it of me. Yes. And so that keeps me accountable. Uh, and I appreciate it. So anyway, I don't know if that, I don't mean to take us off no, of that, so but right. it just it's was so right. absolutely thoughts I was having and, and, you know, listening and reading that. So to that, to that point, I would, I would love for, if you don't mind sharing, um, you talk about the difference between people and persons. Oh, yeah. Um, and so would you mind sharing about that difference and, um, how maybe things would change if we interacted with as persons and not people. Yeah. Yeah. Very core, um, you know, idea that I'm trying to work out in this book is, is really how do we recover what it is to be a person <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and ultimately to be a person is to be in relationship. It's to know and be known. We we're not, uh, you all obviously have been like working on this idea together uh, in this series, maybe specifically the season of the podcast. Um, and it's interesting how, when we talk about groups of persons in American English and most uh, dialects of English, we, we tend to call them people. Um, you know, oh, there were a lot of people in that Kroger. <laughs> um, and, it's a totally natural way to talk, but it it struck me that that something happens if I were to say there were a lot of persons in that Kroger. Mm. That's mm-hmm. it's not the normal thing we would say, but if you imagine saying it, I think you realize that person involves a kind of recognition that that this is a an in we sometimes say individual, but it's not an individual in the sense of isolated all by themselves. It's someone who could be known. And when mm-hmm. you say there were a lot of people, you're you're kind of conceding, yeah, and I'd never get to know all those people. Uh, but when you say there there were a lot of persons, then you just are saying it would be a lot of work to get to know all those people, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. could. You aren't mm-hmm. giving up on it. And mm-hmm. it's not that I, I don't think, uh, none of us can sustain, I mean, maybe Jesus could be in a crowd and like every single person all day, every day. But even Jesus mm-hmm. like withdrew from the crowds mm-hmm. and, and went away to pray, you know, mm-hmm. and then he tried to get a boat to get away from them. It seems like he, he struggled, even the son of God seems to have struggled with this, uh, if we can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly we're not made to like go through these, the mass environments that we're all in, you know, a sports stadium or a, a, a grocery store or an airport with constant attention. But, but I do think the invitation of our life is to ask who are the persons, not just mm-hmm. the people, not just the background, like community of my life, but the persons I could actually know. Mm-hmm. Um, and because unless we have that, um, we wither as human beings. And unless we have that, um, if, unless there's not someone <laughs> or a few someones who, you know, 
know when we've fallen asleep and are a little quieter because we're asleep or would check on us when we don't wake up or if we didn't wake up, they would check on us. Like these basic, like elemental parts of being a person does it have some other people in your life who know you that well and care about you Mm -hmm. that much. Um, And it's a useful exercise to say, who are the persons Mm -hmm. in my life? Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. lots of people in my world that I won't ever be able to fully attend to, but there are some persons and I could actually care for them. So good. I would love to kind of um, not switch gears, but talk a little bit about some of the things that you unpack here. And I'm going to read this little quote from, from the book, but you you talk about you say it is precisely this task what we're talking about becoming relational beings the Mm. the relational beings we were meant to be that is so desperately difficult in our technological impersonal world you said the honest truth is that often we just give in we make choices that accelerate the pattern of emptiness and loneliness rather than reverse them And you said, today, we happen to have access to a way out of disappointment that offers more false comfort than our ancestors could have ever imagined. And you call it, you refer to it as the superpower zone. And so I would love for you to just talk a little bit um, about the superpower zone and and the problem with taking advantage of a superpower and how you unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what makes us, I mean, it's always been hard to be a person. <laughs> That's not new. Uh, relationship has always been hard. That's not new. What is kind of new is the way that technology gives us this um, option of what in the book I call superpowers. And it's actually a word a lot of tech is promoted with now. Uh, they're like, oh, we'll give you, you know, I don't know, uh, presentation superpowers, marketing superpowers, spreadsheet superpowers. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about this word. I was like, why are we using this word all the time? And I think it's because the idea of a superpower is like, effortless, uh, if you want a big word, effortless efficacy. Efficacy being I'm effective. I'm making a difference. I can get something down the world. And actually the distinctive thing about these technological superpowers is it it costs me almost nothing. And this is, you now you can think about it as like some new app or digital device, but it's as close as the accelerator pedal in your car. Mm where you just push that little pedal with just the slightest like deflection of your foot and this engine roars to life and you accelerate like way faster than you ever could on your own. Mm-hmm. And you and I, I feel, I don't know, maybe not everybody feels that, but when I press that accelerator, I feel this like surge of potent pleasure. Like, well, <laughs> finally, I'm getting something done in the world. Like, you know, <laughs> I, everything else. Wait, my, what do you drive? <laughs> I just want because if we're talking not like Porsche, I'm here. No, okay, those new Teslas just beat co- a Cobra. We were talking about that the other day. Anyway, I'm I'm here with you. Just you. Got so, I admit, yes. if you have a car with a little bit under the hood, it, it's more of a feeling of uh, even you know, more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, not Melanie's minivan. The Ford Fiesta will not have quite not the same Odyssey. effect. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although even. As you were saying, yeah, I even apologize. your odyssey, I t- you know, like it's just it's it's easy in a way that that human yeah. being human life was never easy uh, in the way that it is in our technological time. Like I mm-hmm. sometimes I define kind of the promise of technology is easy everywhere, and superpowers are just mm-hmm. the promise of easy like efficacy. I can get something done here. The problem is that to the extent I avail myself of that over and over, I do not grow. 
I don't develop. Like just because I can press the accelerator pedal and go really fast does not make me any stronger. <laughs> like I actually, mm -hmm. it's the reverse. The more time I sit in that car, feeling that sensation of movement and acceleration, the less time I'm spending walking or out on my bike or mm -hmm. doing something else that would actually develop my physical strength, right? And I think this is kind of a, a picture of what it's like to live in a technological world is that very often I can choose between the hard thing that will actually develop capabilities in me or the easy thing that will feel very powerful, but asks almost nothing of me and mm -hmm. develops nothing in me. Mm -hmm. And and then we wonder, you know, why is it hard to have relationships with these days? Well, because you're you're surrounded by people who much of their day is spent in this kind of fantasy world of effortless power. And, mm -hmm. and me too, like I'm tempted to spend time in that world. And the more time I spend there, the less I have to offer you as a fellow human mm -hmm. being in the hard work of being human together. So does that make sense? Is that getting at what you were picking up on in that passage you read? Yeah, I think it's funny because I even think about, you mentioned in, in the book about just how it's actually making us like we, we say we live in a developed world, but it's actually <laughs> yeah. an adapted lopsided yeah, world yeah, yeah. because a we've adapted to all of this stuff. Yep. I mean, like, I just think about some of the yes. basic things that I used to have the skill to do that <laughs> I don't have the skill to do anymore because I have a <laughs> wow. machine to do it or a device to do it. Like basic stuff that I'm embarrassed that I don't know. Like, like where's the state rides? of Florida? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I can pull up a map on my, you know, like, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. that goes to some basic skills, but also relational skills. Exactly what you guys talked mm -hmm. about. If I just give my three-year-old a screen every time he's distressed, he's yeah. going to have no ability to know how to manage and how to process emotion. And and so yes. even relationally, how we have gotten so, and, and I wish so much that we had time. I know that we're kind of running out of time here um, to unpack even, you talk about money and how money has absolutely given us the ability to get things done. You shared a great story about when you and your wife were moving and when you didn't have money, you had to have friends do it. And it was this rich, <laughs> wonderful experience. Years later, you had money, you hire when movers, you, money, you probably you never movers. talked to it, right? Yeah. Right, and so it's just, it allows us to, to do things without having any, like we basically can provide all of our needs and all of our wants by paying dollars for it to happen. Yes. And there's no loyalty required in that. There's no relationship required in that. Right. And that was that was prof that profoundly impacted me as well. But Brooke, I know you you had something you were gonna ask that I think is probably a good thing for us to be able to we always we always want to be able to give people like some hope. Like you like you yeah, said, yeah, Brooke, yeah. I loved that yes. this book didn't end with like, well, best of luck to all of you. We're, we're all stuck. going, <laughs> yep, we're all done yeah. for. Let's just hope that no Jesus one wants, returns. No you. one wants to be your friend. No, yeah, and, yeah. no yes. there is hope yes. that you give. And so we don't yeah. have time to unpack all of that. But uh, Brooke, yeah. I know you had a question relating to that. Yeah, yeah. So um, the last half of the book, which is great, is discussing um, the three key thoughts on how we can begin to pursue another way. Yep. Um, and they're really powerful, but I do want to focus on one of those three ways. And that was the idea of rebuilding households, oh, yeah. um, of living together as persons. I think I've already uh, shared with you that that is my number one thing to figure out. Um, and, and we could honestly, I mean, gosh, I think we could do 75 hours of podcasts with you on just like, section three page sections um but i would just love for you if, if you don't mind just rounding us out with the idea of of, of household 
Yeah, well, the reality is more and more people live more and more alone uh, in our allegedly developed world. Um, one thing we haven't developed is ways to live close enough to other people that we're actually known and cared for. Uh, now, a lot of us aspire to have families and, you know, uh, like like you're doing, Melanie or Brooke, you know, living with a, a spouse and children. But, but mm. most Americans don't have a spouse mm. and children. That's just the reality. Mm. And no one has children for very long because children grow up. <laughs> and um, and all, not all of us are fortunate to have a lifelong marriage. You know, there's just so many ways that mm. one template, which is a good template. I, 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 my wife and I raised two children. I'm so grateful we got to do that. I'm still married to my wife. I'm so grateful for her grace that allows that to be the case. But... Um, <laughs> But the, the, these are, are good things, really good things, but they're very partial solutions, if you will, to the question of how can I have that thing I was looking for from the moment I was born, which is to be recognized, to be seen and known, and to recognize other people and see and know them and love them from mm. birth to the end of my life. And American society is like uniquely bad at solving this problem, in my view. We're a very mm. mobile society. We encourage people to leave home uh Go far from home if you can. If you have the opportunity, it's seen as an opportunity to leave. Um, we build our houses far apart from one another and with zoning that doesn't allow uh, children to live near their parents or grandchildren to live near their grandparents. There's so many layers to it. But in the book, what I invite us to do is start kind of revisiting this idea that was common in the ancient world. And I'm part of the book is kind of looking at how all these dynamics were actually present, like in the first century Roman Empire in some ways, just like mm -hmm. they are today in the 21st century. Um, and one thing they had in the ancient world that we don't readily have right now is what was called and what I call in the book households, which is um, ways of being close enough to be known uh, over a long period of time, often under one roof, though not always literally with one, you know, uh, one roof, um, that meet this need to be known deeper than just uh, friends mm. even. You know, mm. friends are very important, but friends, at least in my experience, to some extent, come and go. But what I need in my life to be healthy day, on a daily basis is someone who just knows where I am and why I am where I am and what's happening with me, what's what it's like to be me. Um, one of the ways I've thought about this is I think it's not a bad uh, index of your relational health. It's not the only one, but it's not a bad measure to add to just ask the question, how many people have a key to your home? Uh, now, I'm certainly aware that not everyone is safe with other people having a key to their home, and I'm not certainly not suggesting anyone should do anything that's not safe. But, but I think the healthy endpoint of growing in this relational capacity we're all made for is that many people, not a hundred, not a thousand, but not zero, can come to my door and and be like have access to my life, you know. Mm. Um, and I, w I will tell you, my wife and I just moved from a single family home that we've lived in for 20 years. We've we've relocated for a year, just a year, to live with friends in the city of Boston. My wife, It's for my wife's work. But we took the opportunity to rent a, an apartment from friends that we've known for several decades now. And they happened to have a floor of their house they could rent. And it is quite amazing to have these friends, Simon and Manuela, who live upstairs with their two 
uh, teenage daughters and her mom, who's in her 90s, <laughs> and mm-hmm. to have this family whose lives just overlap with ours enough that when that we just know they know what's going on in our lives way mm-hmm. more than anyone did when we had a single family home outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I really think this is what we're all made for. Um, now, you don't just jump into something like that, and, and it requires building trust over a long period of time. But if all of us were moving in that direction, I think we'd be all better off. We'd all be better mm-hmm. off um, mm-hmm. to just move towards having that kind of closeness to other people. Now, you just instantly think, well, but who can I trust that much? And that's mm-hmm. that's the issue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we never try it, we'll definitely never trust people. If we don't do it that's carefully, right. it could you know, be damaging. But there's also life on the other side of that level of trust that you're not going to find any other way. And mm. so that is one thing we all can be doing is asking, who could I invite one step closer to my life the way I actually live it? Not just meeting at the coffee shop, not just, you know, saying hello after church or whatever, but mm. really they can see me because mm-hmm. that's what I that's what I need to be a mm. healthy human being. And I can be mm. that for someone else, too. I love that you invited mm-hmm. just like one next step. Yep. Like yep. they don't have to be moving in. They don't have to bring in all their right, stuff right, over right. yet. Like just <laughs> totally, what is that totally. next step for you? I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes it feel almost a little more attainable to me is even just to consider. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. I, Andy, this has been just a treat and a joy. Christy yeah. has always yeah. said that you are just the most wonderful person. And now we got to experience that. And we're so grateful. <laughs> so, so grateful. Um, and we want to encourage our listeners, please get online, get a copy of this book, uh, The Life We're Looking For. And honestly, while you're at it, just get all of his other books. You will not be sad. Yeah. Um, not yeah. at all. Um, and Andy, is there is there anywhere that you'd be able to direct to direct people to find you or your work online or social media or anything like that 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 we could share with our listeners? I'm sorry I didn't prep you for that, but I'm I'm well I'm on social media less and less the more I think about it. <laughs> but the whole point. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, just for an overview, I do have a website. It's andycrouch.com with a dash, a hyphen in the middle. Andy-crouch.com. And that's yeah. where you'll find all the books and buy all the books (laughs) perfect perfect that's wonderful well thank you again so much for being with us andy this has been so fun it has been a gift thank Thank you you yes well we hope you all have enjoyed this conversation today and if the content in these podcasts has been helpful um, we would just be so grateful if you would help us by rating the show or writing a review wherever it is that you listen and if you have any thoughts or questions about anything that we've discussed today, please let us know by emailing us at mercytalk at mercymultiplied.com. And to find out more about Mercy, you can head over to mercymultiplied.com and find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm.